Well, good morning. I'm glad that the men's retreat worked out for those that were able to go. Uh, my desire has been to have one of those things for quite a while. Uh, ever since we began the river, I've wanted to get the men together, and we finally pull it off, and I get COVID. So uh, <clears throat> I wasn't able to attend, but uh, under great leadership, uh, Taylor and James and Luke and Matt and Andrew Moore uh, and, of course, Ron with, with just incredible food, you guys really did pull it up. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And uh, I really missed out, but um, I heard it was fantastic, and it was a way for me to actually apply the message this morning, which is all about replacing yourself. So I was, I was forced into replacing myself, um, and, uh, and it went great, and it taught me a great lesson. So we're going to talk about the, this morning as we continue our series about the value and importance of the church. We're looking at various aspects of the church, and I want to talk about breathing fresh new life into the church this morning. Everything at some point gets old and stuffy and needs new life. Um, our couch, I sit in the same place at night, and it just needs to be refluffed. It just gets old and stuffy, right? And eventually, you got to replace your couch. Um, my car needs washing. Uh, my leather wore out. I, I, I drive a 2001 Land Cruiser, and so um, replaced all the leather in the front seats, and it looks great. It just needed a fresh new kind of image. So does our bodies, right? We're reminded of that. And we're told that if uh, you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So keep moving. Um, you know, our perspective. Think about your perspective in life. We hung out with some young people this weekend, and it brought some new perspective about life and values and uh, what people are living for, what young people today are valuing as most important. So it was a great opportunity to expand my perspective. Um, and so it's, it's true with the church. The church needs freshness. It needs to uh, be kind of um, uh, pushed up a little bit and, and um, encouraged and recalibrated and corrected and adjusted, or it will uh, just become stuffy and old. And so what I want to look at this morning is something that I think is really, really important for all of us. It's true for you and I. It's also true for our church. How do we breathe this new, fresh life into the church? A wake-up call. Ecclesia has been a series that I, I hope will be a reminder to us for many, many years to come. A wake-up call. What the church is really all about. What's the dying passion of Jesus? If I, if I could summarize it, it would be this. To save the world from extinction through you and I. We have been called by a great message to a great mission. And the great message is the message of hope. And the mission is that we just need to continue to replace ourselves so that the church continues on for generations to come. And so we've been looking at various images. The church is a rock. We started there in Matthew 16. We looked at Ephesians, that the church is a family, that we're all needed and part of this great family called the church. 
Uh, we looked at the fact that the church is a unifying force. Uh, James reminded us a couple weeks ago, the church is a place for broken people to be healed. People are broken. People are hurt. They're disappointed. And yet they come to the church to find that healing. Oftentimes, the church itself brings about that hurt and pain. But the church can bring healing. It can bring a new... And then last week, James mentioned the fact that the church is a place just to come and be, be encouraged by God, to, be, to fall into His arms, to be weaned as a weaned child, to be at the breast of God, to feel His love, to be encouraged, to be settled. And this morning, I want to give you an image of the church. And that fresh image of the church is the church continues on as it leans into its message and mission. And I want to look at those two as Paul parts this life. He gives these great words of advice and encouragement to a young son in the faith, Timothy. As he's mentored him, he's now looking at the end of his life and saying, Timothy, I want you to carry on. I want you to continue. And so, in many ways, 1 and 2 Timothy is a letter to an individual. As Paul himself, now probably around 87, 67 AD, in a prison, probably waiting his own martyrdom, he's going to be executed. And these are his final words to the church. His final thoughts come through an individual. That should tell us something. That Paul valued most a message and a mission that he wanted to impart to a younger person in the faith. That was at the, the end of Paul's life. That's what he wanted to say more than anything else. I want to look at that with you. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 1. In many ways, it's, it's like a, a summary of all that he's going to say. Paul, an apostle of Christ, according to the commandment of God our Savior and to Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy and peace from God of the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I urge you, upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. For the goal of our instruction is to love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. But some men, strained from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they don't understand what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. And Paul will now go into what he describes as the gospel the instruction that he wanted to give Timothy, the message. He's going to describe it, and he says the law, it's, it's, 
It's good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is made not for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. He's going to later go on to say that we've all been lawless and rebellious. And so he reminds Timothy of the value and importance of the message that he wants to preserve for all times. I could ask us, what's the message of your life that you want to preserve for all times? Think about it. As Paul relays the message that he wants to preserve for all times to Timothy. And so he's talking about this message that begins with the law for those that are lawless and rebellious and, and ungodly and sinners and, and unholiness. And, and he lists all of these categories of individuals. And yet, in verse 12, Paul changes now from identifying the message of law to the message of grace. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. And so in verse 12, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as, as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So Paul relays a very, very precise and important message that he wants Timothy to carry on. And I want to talk about that law, that message. I want to talk about the heart of that message. Because every single one of us lives out a message. And we relay a message through our lives. Every church does. So does every person. And what is that message? And what's the message of our church that we're relaying? And then Paul, at the end of chapter 1, and I'm going to look at that message with you just briefly this morning, but then he says he entrusts them. I command you, entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you would fight the good fight. Stay in it, Timothy. Fight the good fight. Keeping the faith a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered, shipwreck in regard to their faith. And he mentions two individuals that have been shipwrecked in their faith. So I want to look at this from the perspective that what Paul is relaying to Timothy is a message and Paul approaches it with a certain mission. And the mission is that Timothy would follow after Paul and keep the faith. So I would ask you this morning as we begin, what's the message of your life and what's your mission? Every single person needs to answer, answer that question. But so do we as a church. And what I find boiled down in this conversation that Paul's having with Timothy 
He says, I want this, this movement that I've given my life to to continue on. But you've got to stay true to the message. And Timothy, my mission is that you would fight the good fight as I have fought the good fight. You'd carry it on. You'd keep going. So let's look at that this morning. The message itself and Paul's mission, how he accomplished that. If I could summarize the message that Paul lived by, it would be here in this section of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And what I find here is that as, as Paul describes the gospel, he points out the fact that the law is not the gospel. The law leads us to the gospel. It's a message of hope. First and foremost. It's a message as Paul begins even saying that Christ is our hope. That yes, the law points out our faults. But there's something grander going on in the message that Paul wanted Timothy to carry on with. It was far more simply than a law that points out our sin. It's a Christ that receives us in the midst of our sin. And that was the message that Paul wanted the church to continue to preach. And what I have found in the years that I have been in ministry is I feel like oftentimes that message has really become convoluted, misunderstood, and often preached poorly. And I think what Paul wanted to make sure would happen is that Timothy understood the trueness and purity of the message of hope of the gospel and that that would carry on through his life. Notice, as Paul saw, talks about the, the law is good, it's, it, it, because it does something important in our lives. It points out sin. It points out failure. It points out our need for a gospel. It points out our need for the grace of Christ. Look at verse 12. I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has strengthened me and considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, I was shown mercy. Paul himself, in the Passion Translation, it says this, Mercy kissed me. Even though I used to be a blasphemer, I was flooded with such incredible grace like a river overflowing its banks until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, the Anointed One. Paul felt as though the message of hope was a message of love and acceptance by the mercy of God, by the grace of Christ. 
And he wanted Timothy to be reminded of that message because there would be strange doctrines that would be preached. He talked about that. He said, I want to be careful that those strange doctrines, those strange teachings don't enter into the church. And yet, sadly, they have. And I think the correction for us today is to be reminded again, to be refreshed again with the message of hope. Because oftentimes that message can be misinterpreted. That message can be tainted by a different perspective. I was with um, some young folks this last week, and I just listened. And what I heard was very discouraging. What I heard was in the midst of their difficulties and trials and hardships, I heard that they felt like the church had communicated them a gospel of law, that they fell short. And they felt this sense of shame. They felt this sense of condemnation. I mean, this is their perspective. Describing how they have felt isolated from and, and, and separated from the very place that should be providing them care and concern and love. We were talking to some of our kids this weekend as well about church and Kind of like, where are you guys at in life and in your faith? Just an open, honest conversation with young people. And what we heard is they were looking for a church that was accepting to people from all different backgrounds and way of life. It was so clear to me that that the mindset is... Where is the acceptance? Where is that love? Where is that mercy? Where is that grace? And how is it communicated? You know, we can easily become defensive. We can easily become, well, we've got to protect this gospel against people that have abused it or have gone off the, tra- off the rails. And yet what I find Paul saying is he said, look at me, I have been put into service, and I am the foremost of sinners. Paul was identifying with the fact that it's not that God loves sin, he he loved Paul more. And we need to be a church that loves more. The goal of our instruction, verse 5, is to love. I was just reminded again how valuable and important the message of the gospel is to the next generation. It is a message that God loves us more. Yes, obviously the law has a place in that it points out and and gives us direction. Dr. Carl Jung, I don't think he actually said this, but I was listening to a podcast with Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. About a three and a half hour, almost four hour podcast. And um, in it, uh, Jordan Peterson was talking to Joe Rogan about some of his discoveries in Genesis and Exodus and the gospel and relaying some of his learnings about Christ. And, 
And um, he mentioned Carl Jung and said, Carl Jung believed that God rules with two hands. One, one hand it's mercy and on the other hand it's justice. And I think that's true. Whether Carl Jung actually said that, I think that's the right perspective of God. I think that's what Paul would say in chapter 1, is that God rules with two hands, mercy and justice. Mercy in that he wants us all to flourish. He wants us to enter into the forgiveness of Christ, the grace, to be received and accepted as we are. That the truth is that God loves you entirely. He can't love you anymore, even in your worst place. That's how much love God has for us. Even in our worst place, He has ultimate love for us. That's a message of hope. That's a message young people need to hear. And I think Paul was talking about that mercy, that this mercy kissed me. And yet on the other side of it, as Jordan Peter was saying, Jordan Peterson was saying that, that God rules not only with mercy, but also with justice. That he wants us to leave behind things that harm us. And he cares and loves so much about us, he's willing to just work on us, to work with us, to encourage us, to embrace us. It's a process. And I felt so refreshed by this message. And I felt like this is the message the church needs to live by. This is what Paul wanted Timothy to communicate. And he will say this, preach the word in season, preach the word out of season. The word of God is living and active and sharper than two-edged sword. I want you to be found approved unto God by the word of God. Paul was committed to the teachings of the word of God. But how often do we taint the true message of the word of God by our own perspective? Oftentimes by our own issues or concerns or insecurities rather than recognize the pureness of the gospel, which is a gospel of love, a gospel of grace. And as Paul receives it personally in his own life, now looking back, honored, thankful, humble that he was put into service, accepted by God as a great persecutor, aggressor of the church, a blasphemer, a sinner foremost of all. And Paul doesn't shrink back from that. I am a foremost of all the greatest of sinners. The Apostle Paul said that. And yet sometimes we stand back in kind of this, in our shrugness and say, well, God hates sin. And we got to stand against it and anybody that sins. And yet, why can't we see this greater message that God has called us to preach that we stand humbly in the fullness of His grace. And what I felt like I walked away from this last week just in, through a couple conversations was how people are dismantling their faith and the church because it has just been poorly communicated. The message has been poorly communicated. And it is, they have not felt like it has been a place where they can be accepted. 
And it breaks my heart. It really does. It breaks my heart to see that. To see a church that is, and in, in many cases, just heading off in a different direction by strange... And Paul will say this over and over again to Timothy throughout this message. Be careful. Watch out. There will be those that come in. Oftentimes, it's just bad leadership that has communicated a bad message that has resulted in uh, a pushing away as opposed to a receiving. And, and, and I think the church needs to be a place to receive people where they are and introduce them to this grace that will kiss you. Flooding, being flooded by a grace. So I think the message, the message of your life, the message that you communicate is an unwavering commitment to the Word of God that is filled with love and acceptance. It's a palatable message of love and hope for others. Above anything else, Paul at the end of his life wanted Timothy to know that. Be careful of the message you're preaching. And I think that's true for us as well. What's the message of your life? I mean, over the years, we can either become more pessimistic or optimistic. We can look at life from a perspective that things are going bad or we live with a great hope. And that I'm putting more and more confidence in something else other than this life. And I want to communicate that message as I, as I get older, I want my message to be refined. And rather, rather than this, this sense of condemnation and shame and judgment and animosity and all the rest of it that we see, even in social media, I want it to be a different kind of message to people that are listening. Because I think that's what Jesus would want. But his, his message is one thing to Timothy. His mission is another. And very clearly in, in the mission, Timothy, Paul wanted Timothy to carry on the faith. He said, keep going. Keep the faith. And the good conscience. Fight the good fight of faith. At the very, very end, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Paul will say this about himself. He will say, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. And in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who loved his appearing. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. Timothy, I want you to do the same. And what I think Paul's mission was, was to do everything he could in his power to encourage Timothy to continue in his faith. And I think what he did is he always kept his 
the end of his life in focus. And he always saw Timothy in the midst of it. Timothy was the person that would carry on his life after he was gone. So you not only have a message that you preach through your life, you have a mission. And your mission is far more than you simply getting from point A to point Z in this life. It's what you leave behind. It's what you hand off to your kids, to a younger person working in your company, somebody you're mentoring, somebody that you are pouring your life into. And, and Paul's reminding Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight. I want you to stay in it as I have stayed in it. And Paul spent his life, I believe, not simply just preaching a message, but focused on replacing himself. Russ Crossman is the, Crossman is the CEO of uh, Ron Blue and Associates. Ron Blue, our son-in-law works for Ron Blue, and it's a financial planning company that uh, manages people's believers. It really, it's, it's about stewardship. So they, Christ followers that want to do a good job of managing their money will often use a company like Ron Blue for financial planning to help encourage them to see the future, to see the growth of their life. Uh, the growth of their income and ask the question, how can I continue to steward this into my later years for the impact of the kingdom? And what Russ Crossman said in a little book on leadership that he wrote is that leaders lead to replace themselves. And I think that's true of us. Life is not about you, and Paul knew that. His mission in life was not to be a good preacher, was not to be a great writer, not to plant a lot of churches. It was to replace himself. That was his number one mission in life. Second Timothy, Paul will describe a little bit more about what he's talking about when he says these words. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see that? What you've heard from me, I want you to entrust these learnings into somebody else's life. Entrust them to someone else other than yourself. You know what Paul was saying? Timothy, one day you're going to have to replace yourself. As I am replacing myself and pouring my life into you, I want you to pour your life into someone else because my message will live on because somebody else has gotten it and will live out. Follow my conduct. Follow me, Paul will tell Timothy. Because he knew at the end of his life, now in a prison waiting execution, Timothy in Ephesus as a young pastor, is going to carry on that message. And the challenge for us this morning is to ask the question, what is our message, but what's our mission? As Crossman says, leaders lead to replace themselves. When I was in college, I wanted to grow in my faith. So I attended this college gathering called crew 
worldwide ministry, reaching, discipling, mentoring college students all over the world. And so I attended this meeting of Christians from my campus. Heard the speaker. Thought it was somebody that I could relate to. Walked up to him, introduced myself, said, Hi, I'm Todd Windorf. Would you disciple me? Just like that. I, I don't know why I said that. Uh, what got in me to think that he would take the time as the leader of this organization to do that for me. And he said, well, I'm full, but let me, let me introduce you to Keith Young, one of my staff. And for a year, I met with Keith. Next year, I had the privilege for several years to be under the guidance, the mentorship of a man named John Bruce. He was the director of crew at Cal. And weekly, he would make himself available to meet with me. And we talk about life. John, uh, this is going on in my fraternity. What should I do? Or uh, my grades are suffering or whatever. So I had all these things in my life and I would come to him and he'd give me advice and, you know, I, I don't like what's going on in the fraternity. And he'd say, Todd, you got to pick your battles. You got to pick your battles. You got a six shooter. So choose your shots well. Well, my, my, my professors can't read my handwriting when I write in my blue book for my nymph turns and finals. We got to work on your penmanship because they got to be able to read what you're communicating. You can do it. I mean, it was just little basic things that he taught me. And then I finally figured out, what are you about? What are you reading? What are you doing, John, in your spiritual life? He says, well, I'm memorizing the book of Romans and I'm studying Romans. Aha. So I started doing the very same thing. And it, I began to meet with him. John, what's going on in Romans chapter 1? Why is Paul so anxious to get to Rome? And why is the gospel everything? Faith by faith, what does that mean? And how, how is it true that, that the whole world knows about God but has chosen not to believe in God? The creation of the world communicates that God exists and people still don't understand it. What does that mean? And we would get into these discussions. And one discussion led to another discussion. We'd begin memorizing. We began studying together. And we just had these conversations. He mentored me through college. He taught me how to study the Word of God. He gave me a passion for Christ. It reminds me of Paul and Timothy that I know and I believe that Paul met with Timothy and encouraged him and built into his life as John Bruce poured his life into mine. John now is retired. He's a pastor. He's passed on his ministry to his son. It's a beautiful transition up in San Leandro. And he's retired now, but yet his ministry and his message continues. And the thing that I continue to think about is that as John looks back in his life, you don't know John Bruce, you know me. But I'm a product of his life. And maybe someday after me, someone will be the product of my life. 
and the message will continue. Because I recognize that a leader leads by replacing themselves. And this sense of, this Western sense of individualism, I think is a curse on civilization. It's not about you. It's not about your personal... I understand young people trying to get their businesses going or new family and you got to focus on the kids and there's so many things going on in your life and it's busy and it's hard and, and there's a lot happening. But I want you to hear a message this morning that says there's a message that you're going to communicate the rest of your life and there's a mission you're going to live by the rest of your life. And at the end of your life, I'm, in, I'm hoping that it is a message that aligns with the gospel of grace and mercy for all. And that your mission is that you have taken the time to find others. And if you're young, maybe you are like me as a college student looking for another relationship to be mentored. But you'll find someone to pour your life into. Because at the end of your life, you close that last chapter, either your life ends with you or it continues on. And Paul knew that. And he said, Timothy, I want you to carry it on and keep going. But we think we're, in, we're, we think we're indispensable. Charles de Gaulle, the president of France, once said that the graveyards in life are filled with indispensable men. And yet, I love that statement. I'm indispensable. I'm the only one. I'm the brand. I, I'm the only one that can do it. This week, last weekend, was an absolute success because we approach it differently as a team. Young people, young men, same with the women's ministry, young women, being mentored and raised up and encouraged to take leadership happens. And the graveyards are filled with people that think they're indis indispensable and they're not. We're not indispensable. We're replaceable. So replace your life. The object of your life is to replace yourself. Andy Stanley once said, the measure of a life is measured by how much of it you give away. That's why Paul poured his life into Timothy. How much of your life are you giving away? So two questions. What is your life mission? And what is your life message? Let's pray. Father, as we approach the communion table this morning, uh, I love the image of the table. And the image of the table is Jesus who gave his life away for us. That life would carry on, that we could live an abundant life, that we would be re live in resurrection life because Jesus first laid down his life for us. He humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And he lived in such a way that he became the ultimate sacrifice. That message 
And that mission, mission carries out because of what Jesus has done. Lord, we are thankful for that. And so this morning as we go to the communion table, maybe with friends or family or by ourselves, as we pass by it and pick up that little cup and take the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us and drink the juice, which was his blood that was poured out on our behalf, we might be reminded of the ultimate sacrifice that in that sacrifice, Jesus replaced himself by giving us life and pouring himself into us so that we might live. May we have the courage and the strength and the vision to do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys, for being here this morning. We're going to close, maybe turn some music on, and uh, just enjoy a close of uh, this beautiful weather and grabbing communion together and uh, rem being reminded of the sacrifice of Christ that carries on to this day. Every single one of us are here because of the sacrifice of Christ.